Hey, this is Dylan Neely. We're pumped that you're joining with us today. If you're part of our King's Church family, whether in person or online, we would love to connect with you via social media at King's Church KC and on our website at kingschurchkc.com, where you can learn more about taking your next step as well as giving options and opportunities to connect with other King's Church family across Kansas City. I hope this word today encourages you and inspires you to follow Jesus. Let's jump into the message. With me to Matthew chapter 5. That's where we're going to camp out this morning. And what I want to talk to us about today, we're going to continue in our series, A Summer of Revival. And today I want to talk to you about something that I believe is number one on God's list. Like this is God's top priority. It is God's top passion. It is the thing that God is waking up, the thing God is going to sleep thinking about. It is the thing on his mind 24 7. And it is God's passion for his lost children. And just to illustrate this story as you're getting there, again, I said that's Matthew chapter 5. Yesterday, my wife and I were at our neighbor's pool just going on a swim, and they had a, their, one of their kids' birthday parties, and we developed this wonderful relationship with our neighbors, and we're out there swimming, and we have a little snack break, which is my pa- favorite part of a pool party, is a little snack break, and uh, we're having our snack break. My kids are sitting there eating their snacks, and Hudson gets up, I think, to go get more snacks, and so... Rebecca, Summer, and myself are sitting there eating our snacks, and we look up, and Hudson is in the pool. Hudson, my son, is four years old, and he does not know how to swim. And he is in the pool, and this pool has a shallow end, which is about three feet tall, which is like, you know, above his head, and then it's got the deep end, and, and he's in the pool in the shallow end, but it's, it's above his head, and he's got his little noodle. Like, little boy got the noodle, at least, right? And so he's swimming on the noodle, kicking, and swimming around, not thinking a thing of it, because he's always got his little swimming things on, and the floaties, and... Uh, And I walk up close to him. I'm just kind of walking towards him. And I said, Hudson, buddy, you can't get in the pool without your floaties. And he went to look for his floaties and put his arms up. And the noodle comes out from under him. And he sinks like a rock. And in that moment, everything that was happening at that party ceased to matter to me. Because I'm on the side of the pool. I already dried off. And I'm kind of particular about this. Like, if I dry off, I'm not getting back in. (laughs) One of the guys there kept joking with me, like, I'm going to throw you in. I'm going to dunk you. I'm gonna th- I was like, bro, listen, we will fight. I'm not getting back in that pool. And uh, I was actually the host of the party, who is my neighbor, who has <laughs> been trying to share Jesus with us. So I'm not trying to get in a fist fight, you know? And, uh, but, but I was dried off, had my shirt, my clothes on and everything. And I, instinct kicked in. I jumped in and grabbed my son, right? Like anybody would do that. It's not a hero story. It's just reality of what happens when a child is in the pool and can't swim. In that moment, I realized, man, that's exactly how God feels about his lost children. There are five billion people on the earth who do not know the name of Jesus, who have never called upon the name of Jesus for salvation. There are over three billion people who have literally never heard his name, who are drowning in a spiritual sense and destined to an eternal drowning or eternal death without him. And and God loves his children. God sent his son for his Children, in that moment at that party, I couldn't think anymore about how other people were thinking of me. I couldn't think anymore about my second tray of snacks, which I was going for next. Like, I just, I couldn't go there in my mind because all I could think about was Hudson. Like, I got to get in and get him. And it was, it was instinct. It was reaction. It was urgent. It was important. There's nothing else in the world that mattered in that moment except for getting my son. And I believe that is how God feels about his children who are lost, which is why I want to take us to Matthew chapter 5 today, because we're praying about a summer of revival. We're praying about, God, would you awaken us to your presence and your purposes? I believe there's no greater purpose of God on the earth than to go and find his lost children and bring them back 
to himself. Matter of fact, if you uh, know your Bible well, you'll know Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. Like this is why he came is to seek and save those who are far from him. Luke chapter 15, it's literally three parables. It's three stories of lost things. It's the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. It's this man who, it's a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and he lost one and he, he leaves the 99 to go get the one. It's this woman who has 10 coins and she loses one coin and she doesn't care about anything else. She leaves the nine coins. She leaves the rest of her life, her responsibilities, her priorities. She goes to get the one coin. She just tears her house apart trying to find that one coin. And then finally in the parable, it's the story of the lost son. And it's the story. It's really the story that reflects the heart of God the most, which is that his children are his passion. And he is the father who's waiting on the porch, just waiting, looking, longing for his son to return so that he can run and embrace him and restore him and bring him home. And God has called us, his church, to be a reflection, to be his hands and his feet. That's why we're doing Serve Week this week, so that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. He's called us to embody his love for his lost children on the earth. That is our calling in life. And so Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, if you'll stand with me. To honor the reading of God's word, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You can read with me if you like, or you can just listen along. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. So Jesus gathers his little uh, group of disciples, and he says, look, Matthew, you're no longer a tax collector. Peter, you're no longer a fisherman. You may do those things, but that's now a secondary occupation. It's not your primary vocation in life. Your primary vocation in life is to be salt and to be light. This is your new identity and your new destiny is to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. How many people in the room have ever been on a saltless diet? How many people? Come on, raise them high, raise them proud. Never been on a, how about a low salt diet, right? Like how, no one? We have really good like hearts in this church. No one has heart problems in this church. Okay, so Sandra's like, I'm the only one. I got you, you know, like that's it, but. Okay, so I have never been on a low-salt diet and uh, never planned to be on a low-salt diet. And, uh, and I, but I imagine someone who had been on a no-salt diet or someone who had never tasted salt, right? Like if you'd never tasted salt in your life, first of all, your thyroid would be huge. But if you've never tasted salt in your life and then someone introduced you to French fries, Lay's potato chips, hmm, brother, Virginia ham, how many, you know Virginia ham, right? Like y'all know Virginia. Because you know a Virginia ham, they inject it with salt, they cover it in salt, and then they cure it in salt. And you just walk into a deli in Virginia and there's hams hanging everywhere and you're like, I'm in heaven, Lord. Like, how did I get here? And then you cut into that thing and it just, it just your entire mouth waters. You need to drink a gallon of water for every bite of ham, but it changes. I mean, I haven't had a Virginia ham in three years and I'm still talking about it. Like, it's my salvation experience, right? Like, it's... But what does salt do? Salt, salt brings flavor to the world. Salt brings flavor to the God says you are the flavor of the earth. That's who you are. You are meant to help the world taste and see that God is good by being a taste of heaven to them. 
Salt is preservation. We're, we're to preserve the kingdom of God for the world so that the world can look on and see what the kingdom of God is like. Like, like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Like those things are, are preserving qualities of the kingdom of God that are meant to be in God's people so that the world can taste and see what he is like. Jesus says you're the salt of the earth. You make the world better. And when people who don't know Jesus come into contact with you, it should be like they came in contact with salt. Like, oh, give me some more of that. Like, I need another fry. I need some more Christian in my life. Like, those people are amazing. Those people taste good. Like, whatever they want, whatever they have, I want it. Remember Rebecca, my lovely wife? Love you so much. She worked, she worked insurance before we started having babies. And she, in her insurance office, one of her coworkers who's far from the Lord said, Rebecca, I don't know what it is about you, but there's just something different. You're not like other religious people that I've met. She said, yes, the presence of God in me. Like, that's Jesus in me. And she said, I, you know, I, I hope that one day my kids are in a church like yours. This woman doesn't go to church. But she's saying, I, I want my kids one day to have what you have. What is it? She's salty. She's salty, but she's salty. You know, like, she's salty. <laughs> Woo! I got to move on. When people encounter you, they get a taste of heaven. People are going to see our lives. They're going to see the way we love unconditionally, the way we pray fervently, the way we give generously, the way we serve the least of these. Plug, serve week. You know, like the way we do these things, they're going to see that and they're going to be drawn. They're going to be attracted to the way we live our lives. They're also going to be attracted to the essence of our lives. Like, what are you, what's the atmosphere you carry when you walk in a room? Like when you walk in a room, does the fun get sucked out of the room? And it's just like, oh, it's serious time grumpy guys here. You know, like some, I'm going to be honest, sometimes that's me and God's dealing with me on that. God's trying to teach me again how to have the joy of the Lord. Because there's sometimes I walk in, I'm just thinking about the church, my kids, stressful day. And I'm like, oh, grump, grump is here, you know, like Scrooge, you know, it's, and the Lord's teaching me like, no, Jesus is more like Santa Claus, less like Scrooge, you know, like that's just two Christmas characters. Okay. Like don't, don't think too much about it, but it's the essence of our lives. One study revealed if, if non-believers met a Christian who is more like Christ, more than 88% of those non-believers would come to faith in Jesus if they had a deep relationship with a Christian who actually lived like Jesus. It's not just the message we carry, it's who we are. It's the atmosphere of our life. It's the way we live, but it's also the attitudes, not just the actions that we embody. Are, are you that angry, grumpy person? Or are you filled with joy? And life. Are you the person who holds a grudge and you're bitter and you're that kind of Facebook keyboard warrior? Or are you a person who's filled with forgiveness and grace and mercy? That's the fruit of the Spirit. Paul writes about it in Galatians chapter 5. He says, this is the fruit of the Spirit. This is a kingdom-filled life. This is a life that looks like and tastes like heaven. He says, there's love. You know, Jesus said that, we, we, that the world would know we're his disciples by our love for one another. And the world is longing for love, but they have no clue where to find it. They're longing for it. And yet our world is filled with hatred because they have no clue who the one that love comes from. Our God's name is love. 1 John 4 8 says that God is love. He's the source of love. He's the definition of love. Listen, friends, when we get closer to him, we should get closer to love. Our lives should be more filled with love. He goes on, he says, fruit of the Spirit is joy. There's so many grumpy, joyless Christians out there. Can I just beg us to not be those? To not be that complaining, critical, Facebook. Can, can we be the Christian that walks in a room and we just lift it with our joy? Can we be those 
kinds of Christians, because this is what Psalm 16 says about God. It says, you make known to me the path of life in your presence, in God's presence, in God's atmosphere. There's fullness, fullness of joy. Not a little bit of joy, not a little dose of joy. There's a fullness of joy. There's pleasure forevermore at his right hand. In the presence of God is joy and pleasure. Can I just say, if we are walking with him, shouldn't that be in our presence too? Should it? That's a, yes, yes, amen. Amen. I got to wake y'all up. Turn to your neighbor and say joy. Joy. Turn to your neighbor and say joy. Come on. I'm going to have some fun today, whether you do or not, okay? So if you're taking notes, write this down. Write this down. I want my life to be so attractive. You got to follow me because this is tricky. I want my life to be so attractive that people who know me but don't know God will want to know God because they know me. Say it again. People who know me but don't know God will want to know God because they know me. That's the essence of what it means to be the salt of the earth. I'll go on. Peace. Joy of the uh, fruit of the Spirit is peace. A peace that goes beyond understanding or beyond circumstances. Every reason, you may have every single reason on the planet to be stressed, but you're not stressed because you know the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. Like you may erect your car, you may have been diagnosed with cancer, you may have a million reasons to be anxious, but in the Lord, I'm not saying you won't have moments of anxiety, but in the Lord you can have peace because you have him and he is the God of peace. I was talking to a neighbor yesterday, a different neighbor, and they were telling me they just had all these terrible things happen in their life and they were really stressed out about it. And I said, you know, I wish that you had what I had because I get anxious too. But then I gather with my church to worship. And as we begin to sing, I was telling her this yesterday. I said, as we begin to sing about Jesus, all of a sudden my anxiety ceases because I get a glimpse of who he is and how good he is towards me. I said, you should, I may be here this morning. So I love you if you are here. Thank you for coming. Because there's something that happens in the presence of God. I said, you should come with us. Any Sunday you want to come, you just come and worship with God's people. I promise you it'll change your life. There's a peace that we can walk in that is a witness of the kingdom of God in our lives. You can testify to others, man, the peace that I have, you can have it too. If you walk with the one that I know. Patience. Man, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. And I'm working on that being a fruit in my life too, okay? Like, your brother is barely saved when I'm in a car, okay? Like, I just... (laughs) There's people, the worst for me is when somebody's riding me, you know? Like, I'm going 55 and a 50 already. Get off my bumper, you know? And so I just slow it down. I'm just like, we're going to roll today. You know, like, we're going to go 30, and you're going to love it. And I still have that King's Church bumper sticker. So then the Lord, the Lord just deals with me. I mean, I can't tell you how many times Rebecca's in the car, and she's like, you got that bumper sticker. I'm like, oh, God, forgive me. And then I speed up. You know, I'm just like, I'm sorry. God bless you, you know? Father, Son, and the Spirit all over your life. You know, like I just, but I need God to help me with this. And can I just tell you, it's a problem in our society. Hurry is an addiction because we all got this, right? Like we're all walking around with this, looking at it, checking things 400 million times a day. It's an addiction. And so we get in a Starbucks line or we get in the grocery line or we get anywhere we have to wait because it's not a microwave. You know, everything's not a microwave. We have to wait. By the way, relationships aren't microwaves either. you got to work and wait on those too. But, but we get anywhere we have to wait. We get anxious and stressed out and grumpy. And I was in a coffee shop the other day, and I'm in a long line, and 
everybody's getting grumpy and why is it taking so long? Looking around, it's starting to twitch, you know? And, and, uh, and I get up there and I said, you take all your time. I'm okay to wait. I can, I'm happy to slow your line down so you can catch up. I said this to the barista and you could just see the weight lift off them. Like the stress began to, what is, it's just the salt. I don't do that every time. I'm, it's not a hero story. I'm just saying like, if we could walk like this a bit, we could be the salt of the earth in the world around us and show people a different kind of way, which is the way of the kingdom. What about in business? I think Christians should be the hardest working, most trusted, most honest businessmen and women in the world. Amen? Amen. Amen. If that's not true in your life, which it may not be, you may run a business, you may be very successful, you may run people over in that process. Can I just encourage you to ask the Lord to deal with you on that? to help you become a kingdom business person, not just a successful business person, to redefine what success looks like. What about relationships? I think Christians should be the most fun, loving, life-giving, forgiving, gracious, generous, open-handed, give you the shirt off my back, servant-hearted people the earth has ever seen. What do you think? Amen? Are we those people? (laughs) Don't ask me that. I'm in church. I just want to hear a good message and go home. Well, it's not a good message, so you're going to have to do something else. You're going to have to change, okay? So, oh, man. I, I hear those things, and I think, man, God, you got to deal with me. you got to help me. And that's, that's, we need repentance. Repentance means I'm turning away from my sin. I'm turning towards God. It means I'm changing my mind, and I'm changing my life. And so we need God to help us and, and help reveal to us where the fruit of the Spirit is not at work in our lives. It may be sin, it may be laziness, it may be just one of these attitude issues I'm talking about. I had a friend tell me once, he said, Dylan, the fruit of the Spirit comes in full when it is the fruit of the Spirit. I said, what do you mean? He said, if you have some of the fruits of the Spirit and not other fruits of the Spirit, that's just because it's your personality. It's not actually the fruits of the Spirit. You know, like he just, he got me. Because some of these things are easy for me because of my personality. Others of them are very challenging because of my personality. And the parts that are the weakest show me how much of the Spirit is really at work in my life. You tracking? Yeah. And so we need to say, God, where am I weak? Will you actually let the Spirit change me and transform me to be more like Jesus? Because there's an incredible promise in this that we get to be the salt of the earth. We get to show the world what Jesus is like. Yeah. We get to give people the taste of heaven. And then he goes on and he says, but if salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? It's a rhetorical question. It can't. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. There should be that sober silence in the room. Because this is very sobering that we can lose our saltiness. And if you have lost your saltiness, run to Jesus today. He's the only one who can restore it. He's the only one who can, because he is the salt of heaven. He's the only one who can make you salty Again, but what he's saying here is that there's great potential over a Christian's life because the Spirit of God lives in you. But as with any potential, it can be wasted. I went to high school with a lot of decent athletes. I was a subpar athlete, okay? Like, I was the defensive end. I was the tight end. And then they realized I couldn't catch. They put me a D in, and then they realized I was slow. So they put me a defensive uh, tackle. And they were like, just go low, bro. Just go low. That's all you got. Just chop their knees. That's what I did every time. You know, like I was a subpar. But I went to school with some decent athletes and a few really good athletes. A few of them went D1. One of them went NFL, right? And, uh, but there were, there were some athletes that never got past high school that I, I'm convinced could have been in pro. 
What happened to them? Well, they wasted their potential. Most of them on drugs, some of them on laziness. One guy in particular, he, he was for sure the best player on our team, most athletic. He was bench pressing 225 his freshman year, just like, I never seen a weight, but let me push it. You know, and he just, he just had it. He had it. He got in a gang and just didn't even see him after sophomore year. What happened? There was incredible, incredible potential on his life, but he wasted that potential. The same exact thing can happen in the Christian's life. We need to run to Jesus if we've lost our saltiness and ask him to give us what we've lost. He says, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You know, light does no good in a well-lit room. Like go outside on a sunny day, go outside this afternoon and shine a flashlight. Nothing's going to happen. It's not going to happen, okay? Now you go camping with some friends in the wood and it is pitch black on a cloudy night. You can't see a star in the sky and you're the only guy with a flashlight. You're going to have some friends, okay? Like, bring your flashlight because people are going to want to be around you because it's scary in the dark and you're the only one with the light. Light shines the brightest in the dark. God has said we are the light of the world. What does that mean? He's called us into dark places. He has called us to be a light in the dark places. What does that mean? It means when your cousin or your coworker or your neighbor goes crazy, like they get deep into that politics or deep into some drugs or anything that you go, no, stay away from me. The Lord is actually saying, no, run towards them because they need him more than ever. The people who are the furthest from him should be the people that we run to the fastest. Why? Because he loves them. He cares for them. He sent his son for them. He says, you're the light of the world. You know what light does? It illuminates. It shows you what you couldn't see before. As the light of the world, we show people Jesus when they couldn't have seen him before. You know what else light does? It gives life. Plants, animals, humans. We can't live without light. In the same way, God has called us to be conduits of the life of heaven to the people around us. Amen? Amen. So Jesus says, you're the light of the world. How does that look? Well, it looks like sharing Jesus with the people around us, telling people what God has done for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I believe there are four reasons that we're commanded by God or called by God to share Jesus. The first reason is that God has created us and commanded us to share Jesus or tell others about Jesus. He created us to do this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that we that we are a new creation in Christ and that we are called to be ambassadors of Christ. Like we represent him in the world. Matthew 28, he commanded us to go and make disciples to tell everyone about Jesus. The second point that people will only know if we tell them. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 says, how will they know unless someone tells them? How will they hear unless someone tells them? And then it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You know, your feet when you tell people about Jesus, are beautiful to him. He loves the look of your feet because you're going places where people are far from him and you're telling them that he loves them, that he's died for them, that he's risen from them, and you're inviting them into a relationship with him. It is beautiful to God when you tell others. Why? Because he has set this thing up. Like we are the plan A. There is no plan B. It is terrifying and exhilarating to me that we are plan A and there is no plan B. It is terrifying because I look in the mirror and I know who I am. I thank God you better better have a better plan. But he says, no, 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 I'm not going to rip the heavens open and just come down and tell them. I'm going to tell them through you. I mean, go read Romans chapter 10. That's exactly what it says. He will not do it without us. I mean, even the apostle Paul, Jesus appears to him, knocks him off his horse, but yet he doesn't allow him 
to receive his eyesight back, and I, I believe really receive his salvation, until God sends one of his servants to pray for him. Like he's just that committed to doing it through people. So they won't know unless we tell them. Number three, we wouldn't know unless someone told us. It's passing it on. This is how the Lord has made. We're sitting here because somebody had the boldness, the courage, the faith, the love to tell us about Jesus. That's the only reason we're in this room. You can probably think of who that person was. And I'd encourage you, if they're still alive, write them a note. Thank God for them. I know who it was for me. It was a man at the, I was a kind of a gym rat in high school. I loved to work out. It's because I was a heavier kid when I was young and I felt really insecure about my body image. And so I, I really got obsessed with my image and exercise and all that stuff. And I, God dealt with that idol, which is why I eat a lot of cake now. You know, amen, somebody, you know, but, <laughs> but I was a gym rat. And so I, I ended up working at this fitness center. And the guy, who, uh, the guy who led me to Christ when I was 17 years old, he started working at the fitness center. He had just became a Christian. A guy on Xbox had led him to Christ. And I don't even know how that works, but somebody on Xbox <laughs> led him to Christ. And, and he, he was at the gym reading his Bible. And every single day at work, he would listen to me, he'd love me, he'd tell me about Jesus. And through that relationship, God brought me into a relationship with Jesus himself. And ever since that day, I've just felt, God, you sent him to me so that you could send me to other people all across the world to tell them about your son. That's the same exact thing in your life. Number four, because eternity is real and the gospel is God's power to save. Romans chapter one, verse 16, that the gospel is God's power to save people who are far from him. It is God's tool that he has chosen to save people who are far and eternity is real. Heaven and hell are a real place, and hell is hot, and eternity is a very long time. And so we should take this very, very, very seriously. How do we shine our light before others? We do it with our words and our works. I remember I was at Starbucks, and I had ordered my coffee, and I was sitting there working a little bit, and I, I look up, and there's this guy across the table from me. He's at a separate table. He hadn't, like, sat down at my table, right? That'd be awkward, but he was at a separate table, and he, he looked open to having a conversation, right? Like, you know, those people that just kind of, they're not deep in their work. They're also not like staring at you. Like they just look open. And so I said, Hey man, what's your name? And he said, my name's Ali. What's your name? And we struck this conversation and I asked him a bunch of questions about, about his life. And then later into the conversation, I said, tell me about your faith. Are you a person of faith? And he said, yeah, actually I'm a Muslim. And he began to tell me about his faith. And I just asked him all these questions. I was fascinated. And as he began to tell me, eventually he kind of got to the end and he said, tell me about your faith. And so I kind of got out a piece of paper and I drew three circles. And I just, it's one of the tools that, that I've used over the years to tell people about Jesus. I didn't come up with it. And I just drew these three circles, told them about Jesus. And at the end, he said, wow, that's beautiful. I wish that was true. <laughs> and I said, it is. And he goes, no, really, that's beautiful. I, like, I wish I could believe that. Because of his Muslim faith, he just felt like there's no way I could ever leave this. And I said, well, why don't you just come to church and begin to learn about who Jesus is, begin to read, read the Bible, begin to attend our church for a season. To, to my knowledge, Ali to this day has never called upon the name of Jesus for salvation. But by the grace of God, he got one step closer. Amen? Yeah. Amen. We do it through our words and through our works. So a few tips to share Jesus through your words. Number one, pray. Talk to God about men before you talk to men about God. Pray for people and pray for opportunities to share your faith. Number two, listen. It's so important to listen before we speak. The Apostle Paul was the master of listening and observing. I mean, Acts chapter 17, just go read it. It's this incredible story. He walks in this entire pagan city 
And he sees all these idols or all these gods that these people worship. He doesn't come in and say, oh, Jesus. You know, he doesn't do that. He, he walks in. He says, hey, I notice you're very spiritual people. He, he commends them for their spirituality. And, and then he says, I notice this God over here, this statue of the unknown God. Can I tell you who that is? I know him. And then he says he's the creator of heaven and earth and all this amazing stuff. The Apostle Paul was brilliant at observing people's lives and asking good questions. Jesus was the absolute master at it. I was in Birmingham a couple weeks ago and I was getting my hair cut because I looked like a chia pet. Like mine doesn't come down on the head. It just goes out like a white boy afro, you know, like it's just what it does. And so I'm in Birmingham getting my hair cut and, and this guy's cutting my hair and I just ask him about his life. And, and again, I asked my favorite question, which is, are you a person of faith? I never said I was a pastor, the whole conversation. So if you're thinking, oh, you're a pastor, that's easy for you. I, I never brought up that I was a pastor. And I just said, are you a person of faith? And he said, well, actually, and he began to tell me his entire life story. And in the middle of the conversation, I just began to ask more questions just to understand. And at the end, I was able to say, you know, in John chapter 3, Jesus said, there's only one way to get into heaven. There's only one way to guarantee your eternity. And that's through calling upon his name for salvation. Actually, he says, you've got to be born again. And I kind of told him the story about how this man named Nicodemus asked this ridiculous question of Jesus that he says, you mean I have to crawl back in my mother's womb? And I love this conversation because you always get to say with people, isn't the Bible funny? In the Bible, this guy asks, you've got to crawl back. It's an awkward question to Jesus, right? And, and, uh, and I said, and it, but, but Jesus said, no, you have to be born of the water, which is the forgiveness and the cleansing of your sins, and born of the spirit, which is a new life with God. And he didn't call on Jesus' name for salvation that day, but he got one step closer. And I'm just telling you, there's conversations, there's people, there's relationships all around you where you can help people get one step closer. You can help them take, what I said to that barber is I said, let me get your phone. And I, I downloaded the YouVersion Bible app for him. And I said, this, this book right here, the Gospel of John, just start playing that on your way to work and let God speak to you through his word. He can help people take one step closer to Jesus. So we pray for him, we listen, we share our story. Don't get in arguments and debates with people. Just tell them the story of what God's done in your life. They can't argue with that. I love the woman at the well, John chapter 4. She meets Jesus and she begins to tell people her story. And it says, many people believed in Jesus just because of her story. Number four, I'm running out of time. You invite them to take a step. Maybe it's to read the gospel of John. Maybe the step that you invite them to take is to come to church with you. Can I tell you there's power in your invitation? Don't ever underestimate the power that God may use in your life through an invitation that you make to someone else. There's so much power in just saying, would you come with me? Would you come check it out? Would you come and see? Some people never will. So it's important that you tell them your story and the story of what God has done for them. But some people will come if you simply invite them. Take that flyer on your seat, the God is series, and invite them next week. It's not just our words. It's also our works. I'm going to finish with this. This is the end of the passage, verse 16, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. There are two Greek words for good. One is good, like he's a good man. The other Greek word for good is beautiful. The Greek word used here is beautiful, so that they may see your beautiful works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Can I just say that when Jesus looks on a church that is giving their life in love for people, he doesn't just say it's good. He doesn't just say, well done. He, he says it's beautiful. It pleases his heart. What we're doing this week in Serve Week, it pleases the heart of God. 
It pleases his heart when we get out of our comfort zone, we get out of our rhythm, we get out of our life, and we don't just make it about ourselves, but we pour our lives out in love for other people. It literally pleases the heart of God where he looks on it and he says, man, that, that's, that is beautiful. It's beautiful. So my question to you is not only will you participate in Serve Week, which my hope is that every person in our church would participate in some way. Download the app, go sign up online, but even more, will we become a people that give our lives to doing good? We give our lives to good works and gospel works that more and more and more and more people can call upon the name of Jesus.